0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com.
1: Welcome everyone for Mother's Day, joining us online and in person if you're away. Just gonna give you a moment to practice some silence and solitude before we go into the series of spiritual direction. So let's bow our heads and take a moment to just hear from the Lord. Let's exhale all the ruminating, automatic thoughts that may be weighing on you this week and in this season. Bring it to the house of the Lord. Just let it all go and let God take over. And inhale the promise of the transcending presence of God when we supplicate our anxieties on him. Jesus Calling, May 14th. I am mighty God. Nothing is too difficult for me. I have chosen to use the weak ones like you to accomplish my purposes. Your weakness is designed to open you up to my power. Therefore, do not fear your limitations or measure the day's demand against your strength. What I require of you is to stay connected to me. Living in trusting dependence on my limitless resources. When, you're fa- when you face unexpected demands, there is no need to panic. Remember, I am with you. Talk to me and listen while I talk to you through the challenging situation. I am not a careless God. When I allow difficulties to come into your life, I equip you fully to handle them. Relax in my presence, trusting in my strength. All God's people pray. Amen. Now, Paul will come up and start.
2: Thank you. Um, So before I start, I'm just going to say Happy Mother's Day uh, to all the mothers out there. Uh, If you're sitting next to one fist bump. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get started. (laughs) Um, So over the past couple of months, uh, we've been slowly rearranging our stuff uh, in our apartment to create space for the baby. Um, So we're going through what we have in storage, you know, all of our closets, what's hidden away under our beds in the closets and figuring out what to keep, what to let go, what to move elsewhere. And for me, this process of cleaning up, getting sorted is always conflicting. Um, And how couldn't it be? Uh, We're living between a future reality in which we're gonna be parents with a baby that occupies lots of space uh, and a present reality where I want to enjoy the things that I've collected over the years. (laughs) You know, hobbies, hobbies, more hobbies, fill in the blanks. Uh, And it's hard to let go. Why? Um, Because the things that I hold on to represent both memories of a distant past and also potential for a future, right? Um, And so I'll stop there uh, and come back to this idea in the end. But I want you to hold on to this image of making space um, as we go through the sermon. So next slide. So last time I was up here, just to recap uh, the whole spiritual disciplines um, saga, uh, we quickly went through the book of Job, um, his journey through loss, his questions that derived from his place of pain and his conversations with miserable friends. And these events culminated to an encounter with God in which God showed Job a glimpse of the reach of God's care. Um, directly talking with Job and we discussed three spiritual disciplines that we can glean from the story of Job. Uh, The discipline of the heart, the discipline of the book, and the discipline of the church. Today we're going to explore further what it means by the discipline of the heart Um, and in Job we saw a figure crying out to God with honest questions with real doubt and with messy emotions and from his example we said that prayer is crying out to a God who loves us, bringing all of ourselves to God again and again. Today, uh, we'll take a different spin or a different aspect of the discipline of the heart and hear words from the Kohelet, or the teacher in the wisdom literature. So, next slide. The words of the Kohelet, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Hevel, hevel, says the teacher. Utterly hevel, everything is hevel. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are hevel, chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and I also and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Unlike other books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes presents us with direct access to the words, the thoughts, and the reflections of the Kohelet, an anonymous teacher or preacher, um, a Solomon-like figure who, for the entirety of the book, remains anonymous. We don't know who this person is. And the Kohelet teacher is introduced to us by an anonymous author um, who wants us to hear what the teacher has to say to us. Uh, next slide so throughout the book of the Ecclesiastes the teacher uses two phrases over and over to convey his point and these phrases are central to understanding the teacher's message the first phrase the teacher cries out is hevel hevel everything is hevel Um, the teacher returns to this word again and again 38 times in 12 chapters Ecclesiastes is only 12 chapters pretty short Uh, (laughs) hevel means vapor or smoke So what you read as meaningless uh, is actually translated vapor or smoke. And you may already suspect hevel or vapor is a metaphor. Is smoke a thing? Is vapor real? Um, I can see that it's there, but the moment I try to reach out and grab it, the moment I try to make sense of it, to shape it, it's gone. And the teacher will use these properties of vapor to comment on various aspects of life. The teacher also uses the phrase, under the sun, which is repeated 30 times across 12 chapters. And together these phrases produce a thesis, something that sounds like this. Life under the sun is vapor, the chasing after the wind. And while this thesis may be short, the metaphor of vapor is very dense. Uh, Three examples, like smoke, our life is altogether momentary. 80 years, a blip on the face of the earth, it's here and it's gone. Everything we build erodes with time. Memories fade into oblivion, legacies are forgotten. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. But also like smoke, the moment we try to grasp at how the world works or ought to work, when we try to make it into something, it slips through our fingers. We're faced with contradictions and a sea of randomness. And so life and the things of life operate like a paradox. The axioms we hold to be true are only true sometimes. And so these qualities of vapor uh, help us to navigate the teacher's view of how we as humans experience life under the sun. Everything is Hevel. Next slide. But despite the fact that life is fleeting and uh, intangible, Uh, humans, by our natural disposition, we live and we work and we create for ourselves meaning. We tell ourselves, if I can attain this, or if I can accomplish that, my time on this earth will mean something. And so through 12 chapters, the teacher indulges us in a thought experiment. He conjures images of things that he's observed in the world, uh, goals that people have spent their entire lives pursuing and then tells us their ultimate conclusion. To science and technology, first one up there, I think, yeah. Um, He says, look, this is something new. It was already here, long ago. It was here before our time. Um, To pleasure and to hedonism, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. To the materialist, he says, My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave, it, leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. On and on, the teacher dismantles one lifestyle after another in his thought experiment, deconstructing all the ways we try to find meaning and purpose in our lives on this earth apart from God. And through this systematic barrage of reflections, the teacher gives us a hard lesson in reality. You can spend your whole life working, achieving, accumulating, pursuing pleasure because you think that will make your life meaningful. But in the end, it's Hebel. Why? He attributes these things to three forces. One, the relentless march of time. Two, inevitable death. And three, random chance. With enough time, nothing really changes. No one will remember you or what you did 100 years from now. Time will eventually erase you and me and everything that we care about. Death and random chance are great equalizers and renders meaningless most of our daily activities. They equally devour the wise, the fool, the rich, and the poor. So, everything that we invest our lives in wealth, career, social status, pleasure what does all of our striving really produce? Is working hard going to make life worth it? Or maybe you think pleasure will make life meaningful. Living for the vacation, but even vacations end. So, again, What's the teacher's conclusion to all of this? Life under the sun is vapor, is hevel. All right, next slide. So if this is all there is under the sun, this is a truly sad place. Uh, The teacher shows us the small, fragile position that we're in situated in a broken world. And the wiser and the more knowledgeable we become of the world, the more sorrow we will face. Uh, And the teacher concedes that Living by wisdom and fear of the Lord will probably be better for you, but even living in wisdom and in fear of the Lord is Hevel too. Living justly doesn't guarantee good outcomes or a good life. Under the sun, good people still experience ruin and wicked people still prosper. This too is Hevel. As the book concludes, the author of Ecclesiastes, not the teacher, steps into frame and says this, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find not find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For, for her God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. The author tells us that the teacher's words are very important for us to hear. It's a reality check. The author tells us the words of the teacher are going to reorient you, expose your beliefs, expose what you hold dear, um, but they'll be exposed by a good shepherd. Like a shepherd's nailed staff, these words might hurt when it pokes at us, but the teacher pokes us to get us to move in the right direction towards greater wisdom. And then we hear the author's conclusion. At the end of the book, the author pulls back the curtain and reveals that one day, everyone and every deed will be judged. Our 80 years under the sun isn't all there is. And in light of this coming judgment, every decision that we make does matter. They will matter not for any outcomes that can be seen on earth that are here today and gone tomorrow, but they'll matter to God in ways that I am unable to see or comprehend. Next slide. All right, so why Ecclesiastes? Um, The reason why I selected Ecclesiastes to talk about the discipline of the heart is because the book of Ecclesiastes challenges us to have an honest faith. Uh, And the discipline of the heart is about disciplined introspection uncovering and reordering the things in our heart, making space so that we can begin to see the image of God in our heart. If you have a superficial view of the Bible, then the wisdom books are gonna seem like a contradiction to the rest of the Bible. But the wisdom books, especially Job and Ecclesiastes, gives us a holistic view of what it means to be human in a world where God is working out his purposes, purposes that I will not understand or see. So these books compel us to an honest faith by helping us to acknowledge the presence of doubts that we cannot dismiss and questions that cannot be fully answered. So what can the book of Ecclesiastes tell us about the discipline of the heart? What can we learn from the author and the teacher? I believe we can take away three lessons from the teacher and they're up on the screen on the left. Um, the myth of religious self-fulfillment, satisfaction and joy, and lastly, prayer. Next slide. So first point, uh, as Christians, we read and we interpret the Hebrew Bible in consideration of the coming of Jesus. And we ask ourselves the question, how does the book of Ecclesiastes prepare us to hear good news? How does a painful awareness of inevitable death, unrelenting time, and living in a sea of contradictions and randomness, how does that prepare my heart? Um, The author tells us that the words of the teacher are like a shepherd's goat, prodding us, directing us towards greater wisdom. But why a goat? You saw that painful image, Uh, why a goat? (laughs) Um, Maybe we, as humans, aren't fully aware of what's actually dwelling in our hearts until we are prodded, until life takes a wrong turn, when we become disappointed, frustrated, and angry. Because beneath our awareness, We have great expectations. Great hope in our ability to work hard to produce favorable outcomes and a prosperous future. We have all kinds of hopes and expectations that only surface in disappointment and in upheaval. I've worked so hard to get into that academic program. I've poured so much of myself into this relationship. I have spent so much of my Sundays going to church, attending Bible study. Why am I doing this Jesus thing in the first place when my life isn't getting any better? Shouldn't my toil be rewarded? Shouldn't it amount to something? But it didn't. What we thought we could accomplish was out of our hands. The outcomes were unpredictable. It was heavily. Some people come to this realization. They walk away from faith, from education, from relationships, Because when I made the decision to study to enter into a relationship to follow Jesus, I was making a deal. That by working diligently or following Jesus, my life here on earth would be better. And then life goes sideways, and I blame God for not honoring his side of the deal. But what if God's promise to me under the sun wasn't to solve all my problems? The book of Ecclesiastes raises the question, what if God isn't the problem? What if my expectations and the things I place my hope in are the problem? The book of Ecclesiastes digs away at a very pervasive mindset, the myth of religious self-fulfillment, the idea that following God will result in a better better life, that acting justly, fearing God, keeping his commandments will make my life better. And the myth of religious self-fulfillment is about all the ways that I invite God into my life into my story to work things out for my good and when that doesn't happen I feel disappointed I get angry and I blame God the teacher tells us that God operates in the world in ways that I will never fully comprehend I won't fully know why the righteous suffer the unjust prosper I may never understand life's hardship in my life but does that mean that life under the Sun has no meaning If I can't seem to figure out the logic behind life, does it mean that there is no logic? When the teacher says the life is heavily, is he saying that life is meaningless? That because life is short and unpredictable that it has no meaning? That's not what he's saying. If my toil under the sun cannot reliably produce meaningful outcomes, what motivation is there to do anything? What can possibly give something weight? At the end of the book, the author speaks up and reminds us that we must fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Why? For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether for good or for evil. Now, God's judgment alone and its implications for eternity give weight to my deeds that are weightless. Even though my every deed every hidden thing may not have a guaranteed outcome on this earth in my lifetime. Even if my toil amounts to nothing under the sun, I'm still accountable for my obedience. What gives life meaning is the hope of God's judgment, that one day God will clear away the hevel and bring justice. And it's hope in God's judgment that fuels a life of honesty and integrity before God. Next slide. So the first lesson that we learn from the teacher is that we have great expectations based on ideas about how life ought to work. And we hold expectations and hopes in our heart apart from God that are revealed through life's uncertain outcomes. When life doesn't go according to plan, we tend to see these deviations as failures or obstacles in my life. But to the teacher, our failures are key to embracing joy. Those moments where life falls off the tracks may have actually been the best thing that could have happened to us. We simply cannot know. The teacher tells us that the uncertainty of life under the sun teaches us two things. One, it strips us of the illusion that we're in control of our lives, that we can actually make things happen exactly the way that we want them to turn out. And two, even if I could control my life and get exactly what I wanted to achieve, my life may not be more satisfying or more joyful. If you've ever experienced disappointment in your life, you're probably aware of the limited control that you actually have. I am reminded of this every time I play a board game. Uh, We don't have perfect information. You know, we don't know who shuffled the deck or how the deck has, yeah. Uh, I can't control my proclivity for bad dice rolls. So try as I might, um, I have to release the burden of outcomes to God because it's not my burden to carry. (laughs) We are people, we're not God. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But let's say that I could stack the deck, and I did have perfect dice rolls. Would I find more satisfaction and joy in winning? Maybe for five minutes. Um, But now you'll have to close down game night because you've caused irreparable damage to your friendships. Um, and <laughs> was it worth the victory? Does the burden of winning at all costs prevent us from enjoying the game? So what if instead I release the burden of outcomes to God? Um, would that free me up to enjoy the game in the company of people that actually want to hang out with me? Um, by accepting life under the sun as Hevel, by acknowledging our frailty, our mortality, and our lack of control, and when I can trust God is at work and in mysterious ways working out his purposes, can we begin to appreciate our lives for what they are? Ecclesiastes 3, 11 to 14. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every person who eats and drinks sees good in all their labor. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take away from it. And God has so worked that people will fear him. I can't control the good things that come and go in my life. Likewise, I can't control the bad things that come and go. But that's their beauty. There's beauty and a gift and a goodness to things because I cannot control them and because they are not guaranteed. I am free to simply enjoy life under the sun as I actually experience it, not as I think life ought to be. The more I focus on making life the way that it ought to be, we become blind to the small moments of joy that actually do enter our lives. Verse 12, the teacher tells us, the best of what we get under the sun are moments of having meals, hanging out with friends, these little moments of joy that we miss if we're caught up in our own agenda. And we live as if these 80 years is all we have, all we'll ever experience. So we're tempted to stack the deck, minimize pain, maximize pleasure, but we won't find ultimate satisfaction under the sun. That's not the point. Verse 13, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. It's good to work, to want to build good things in this world, to be excellent in everything that you do, but your hard work doesn't guarantee success. So we can't make work more than it is. We can't use the results of work to justify our existence. I, by my own effort, cannot add an ounce of meaning to my life. So enjoy your work for what it is. Pursue good work and excellence because God deems it valuable. Next slide. If God's judgment over the world is what ultimately gives hope and meaning to my life, and if material outcomes of my life under the sun are not my burden to bear, then if I want to live a life that matters, a life that has implications for eternity, I need to live a life that looks different. Um, I have to live a life anticipating God's judgment and sovereignty fearing God and keeping his commandments, prioritizing God's values over my circumstances and my life's outcomes. I have to consistently act in ways that put God's priorities first, and that isn't easy. We live in New York, where both busyness and distractions abound. There's a great temptation to work, to be busy, to create outcomes. Henry Nouwen writes, the many activities in which we are involved, the many concerns that keep us preoccupied, and the many sounds that surround us make it very hard for us to hear the sheer silence through which God's presence is made known. It seems that the noisy, busy world conspires against our hearing, that voice that tries to make us absolutely deaf. It's therefore, it is not surprising that we often wonder in the midst of our very occupied and preoccupied lives, if anything is truly happening. Our lives may be filled with events, so many events that we often wonder if we can get them all done. At the same time, we might feel unfulfilled and wonder if being busy but bored, involved yet lonely. When we consider our priorities and outcomes so highly, when we're so busy, is there space for God to speak? Can we listen with a hurried heart that just wants to get to the next thing? Of course not. How can we invite over a guest into our house if there's nowhere to sit? How can we bring home a baby if there's no space? How can we make our heart a home for Jesus if it's too crowded with my needs, my wants, my priorities, my goals? We can't. As long as our hearts and our minds are filled with words of our own making, There's no space for the word of God to enter deeply into our heart and take root. And so we need to prepare a space. We need to lay down some things, get things out of the house, refocus our eyes on God and reorder the things in our heart. And that's what prayer is. And if this sounds difficult, it should. It's a discipline. Um, Prayer doesn't mean that you have loving, tender feelings as you listen to God's voice. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Prayer is a discipline. Discipline means to create boundaries around our meeting time with God. Our times and places can't be so filled up that there's no way of meeting. So you have to work hard to say, this is the the time in which I am with God, whether I like it or not, whether I feel like it, whether it satisfies me. You go back to the place of solitude with God and claim who you are. Prayer is more than a feeling, speaking, thinking, or conversing with God. To pray also means to be quiet and to listen. Whether or not we feel God is speaking to us, more than anything, prayer is primarily listening and waiting. Um, We listen for God in an attitude of openness of heart, humility of spirit and quietness of soul, and we let our mind descend into our heart and we stand in the presence of God. There's a great irony to prayer. The activity that seems most absurd, prayer, which feels unproductive, it's wasteful and boring has eternal significance the act of simply being with a person listening and not doing much is the activity of refocusing my eyes on God reordering the things in my heart and putting God first the act of prayer is fearing God and it is worship it's actively laying down everything else that I could be doing Um, Last slide. So just to conclude, we're not done cleaning yet. Some days we make a lot of progress. Other days we get distracted by work and sermon prep. But the day of reckoning, um, I mean the baby, is coming. Um, And I hope that by then we'll have sorted through what to keep, what to let go, um, to make space for the things ahead. Um, And with that, I'll invite P. Sam and P. Lit up,
1: Close. Let's all stand together and pray. Ecclesiastes is one of my f- favorite books in the Bible because of its honesty and rawness. Henry Nouwen in *Spiritual Directions*. Actually, can we? I put the books up there. We can have at the cafe. You can pick up if you can put it up now. Um, Henry Nouwen said in *Spiritual Directions* that I am learning, and he uses the participle. I am learning. Tell someone next to you, I am learning. Praying is mostly grieving. I am learning that praying is mostly grieving. Why? Because most of everything in life is a vapor. The Netflix show that you love ends. Love and Divorce, part four, is nowhere to be found. I'm <laughs> I looked online. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a Korean drama, a mega hit in Korea. They ended on a cliffhanger. And I was like, all life is meaningless. Solomon was right. All life is grieving. My first cup of espresso, gone in 30 seconds. All life is meaningless. I have to wait until tomorrow to drink it again. And then before you know it, I'll be dead. And I'll never drink, well maybe, In the future, in the eschatology in heaven. But so the whole point of prayer is understanding that part in Ecclesiastes that's probably the most important. Eternity is set in our hearts. You see, faith, if it's anything, it's really an echo. It's not even something you can define, you can try to, but it's elusive, it's transitory. It's in many ways a vapor, but it points to something from temporal to eternal. It's an echo, you hear it, it's visceral, you feel it all around you, and that's the hope we live with, isn't it? that one day all the meta-narratives will end, but the ultimate narrative, all the things that are puzzles and dots in our lives, all the broken things, all the things unanswered, all the unset things, all the most things that we desire culminate in eschatology. Prayer is applied eschatology. I look to the heavens, Eternity. So faith is the echo and eternity is the origin. We return back to from where we've come from. We go back to God. So will you lift your hands with me today as we close in prayer? In about 15 minutes, the hot dog man will come up in the screen. So (laughs) we're going to give you this limited to pray and you too us all of us let's learn to pray and grieve and say God yes all of these things in my life every relationship no matter how fulfilling no matter how good no matter how good my work is how great my relationships are they and in the end of the day will not satisfy me because I was made for something even more than that it's just a glimpse amen So let's lift our hands and pray. And grief can be a beautiful thing if you could grasp it and say, okay, no one and nothing in this world can satisfy me. Only God can in eternity. So let's make this our prayer. Everything I am,
0: come and be everything I am, and all I know.
2: Search me through
1: and through, search me through and through to my heart. Search me through and through till my heart becomes a home for you.
0: Search me through and through.
1: Search me
0: through and through till my heart becomes a home for you.
1: Father, we come before you this afternoon. We thank you for the tension, the ambiguity, the doubts, the unanswered questions. And the Bible already tells us, even before the advent of Christ, that those questions will never be answered. But... The promise of Ecclesiastes is eschatology in the future, that there will be a person that will go through those questions with us. That we can turn to Him when we don't understand and when we doubt. And faith, when we pray as a person And one day, the promise is that God will make everything right. God will judge every inch of creation and bring judgment and reward. And in the end of the day, faith, I am learning in my own life as as In middle age, you see, I couldn't learn this in my 20s or even in my 30s. In middle age, halfway dead, even though I don't look like it at all, I am learning that most of life is not trusting the optics, things are not as they appear. We mind read too much. That's what you call biased and prejudice. We mind read and we calculate based on optics. And Ecclesiastes is saying, do not trust your own schematic vision of the world for it's tainted by your own idiocy and immaturity. Because you only live 80 years and you know nothing. Trust in eternity. Trust in heaven for God is just and good. That's prayer. Every time we close our eyes, lift our hands and look to the heavens, we're putting our hope in His goodness and character. So, I pray that we would learn the discipline of the heart continually. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to 180 Church. I'm Sarah. I'm a member here at 180. I'm just going to share some community news before we go into the rest of today's service. So first off is how we can give. If you're a member here, we want to remind you to keep God at the center of your life and finances, you can give it Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. Um, and if you're our guest, there's no financial obligation to give, but if you'd like to, you're welcome to do so through the methods above. Next are some ways we connect throughout the week. So first we have our Bible reading group or 180 BRG, which you can find on Instagram. And there are some beautiful captions and images that can brighten up your feed and provide some encouragement throughout your week. So it's a great way for us to keep God's word in our lives. and Um, to just learn more about the Word and about who God is. So we invite you to check that out and follow along. And we also have other ways that we can connect throughout the week on social media. So we have our Facebook at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy has a Twitter at Dr. Sammy Kim. We have our YouTube at 180 Church NYC, which I know a lot of people are watching right now. And we have our three Instagrams, 180 Church, 180 BRG, and 180 Fellowship. So we invite you to follow along on all of those, share them with your friends and family, and just Yeah, we hope that they can continue to encourage you throughout your weeks and help us stay connected. Next up, we have small groups. So small groups are a great way where we can just slow down, reflect with community about the message that we hear on Sundays. So we really invite you guys to come check out a small group if you haven't already. Um, You can speak to me or a greeter for details and they meet throughout the week, both virtually and in person. Next up, we have some resources available for purchase at the cafe, including devotionals that can just can help, help us connect with God on the daily. And um, we also have Dr. Sammy's new book, A Holy Haunting, that can help us connect with God and else also is a really great tool for us to share with our friends and family who we're reaching out to. And for anyone who's curious about faith um, and about how science and faith can intersect, so we really invite you guys to share that with them. Um, And you can pick any of these up at the cafe and it's based on an honor system. So you can just pick it up and then um, share on Venmo later on. Also at the cafe, we have our 180 merch. So you can check that out while you're at the cafe as well and just be comfy. And I know as in the summer, on summer nights, I love having my hoodie. So um, we definitely invite you guys to um, grab one of those. So next up is prayer. So we have our prayer text hotline at at prayer at 180church.tv where you can send an email. Um, for anything going on in your life, anything that um, you'd like to request prayer for that you're struggling with, or just for someone else in your life that you're praying for. um, This is a confidential resource for you and there's a team praying for all of it. Um, And so we really just, yeah, we have this here for you guys to use for when you need. Um, Yeah. Uh, Next up we have our our Instagram album, our instrumental album called A Glimpse which is a piano instrumental album recorded by Pastor Lydia. And um, we can use this to just slow down during our week, whether we're journaling, whether we're spending time with God, whether we're going on a walk in this awesome weather. Um, This is an album that you can just use to kind of slow down and connect with God and to listen to what he's saying. And it's on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, just to say, yeah. Next up, we have our day in the sun. So we want to note this date change. Um, There was something with the Central Park office, but it's all worked out now. So we have our date is now May 28th, which is during Memorial Day weekend, which will be super fun. So it's at noon the same time, same location at the Great Hill in Central Park. We ask you to RSVP today if you haven't already. And if you don't have the email, um, you can talk to me or any of the greeters and we'll make sure that you get that RSVP link. Um, Speaking of days in the sun, also we're super excited to announce that we have our day in the sun themes back this year. So we have this one coming up, May 28th, which is our summer kickoff. Um, we have our day in the sun on June 25th, which is gonna be a games in the sun. July 23rd, we have our potluck, and I can't wait to see all the awesome and delicious things that everyone brings. In August, we have um, a desserts in the sun for yummy sweets to cool down in the heat of summer. And then in September, we're gonna have a new theme this year, which is our college party. So we're gonna ask everyone to wear their college swag and. Um, We really want to just do this to welcome new and returning college students and make sure they feel welcome in our community. Um, So yeah, um, for those who haven't, weren't here before pandemic, we had these themes and it was a really fun way to just gather and like just do a lot of fun stuff over the summer. So now that um, that COVID has slowed down and we can loosen our restrictions a little bit, um, we're going to have these themes again. And so instead of this year doing individual donations for Every Day in the Sun, We're going to ask everybody to donate just one sum for all the days and suns. You don't have to remember and like, you know, go back and donate all that stuff. So it's just going to be a hundred dollars for the whole year for Easter and all the days in the sun. So, um, when you guys can for members, please donate that. And, um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you at all these soon. And we want to just keep all of our friends and family in prayer and continue to invite people out to these events. Our last announcement is about ways that we can serve in the community. So we are looking for some volunteers to help in many different areas of our community. So for 180 Cafe, you can come help people wake up both literally literally and spiritually with a cup of coffee. Uh, We have our Sunday school. So if you'd like to come help our littlest members get to know the love of Jesus better, you can talk to any of the greeters. Um, For techies, you can come help us build really cool stuff online. And for greeters, you can just be a friendly face to welcome people in and be that first point of contact that people have when they come into church. Um, So those are all of our announcements today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at 180church.tv.